I got to go on a vacation a couple weeks ago to Breckenridge, Colorado. I know that, I know that you're all jealous. Um, this was the 2020 family vacation that became the 2021 family vacation that almost became the 2022 family vacation that thankfully we were able to go uh, and have a great vacation. We went with my side of the family. We had nine adults and six kids, and five of those kids were three years old or younger. So it was a very active vacation. Uh, there was not a dull moment, and, and for the most part, we got sleep. Um, we did a lot of fun stuff in Colorado. I mean, the weather was great, the scenery was amazing, but one of the most fun things we did that I really enjoyed, uh, we got to do a lot of bike riding. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I am an avid mountain biker. Um, I, you know that I'm a pastor here at Bethany. You know that I have a family, and you probably see my kids up here dancing and trying to play guitar during worship. Um, in addition to those things, I love to mountain bike. And I mountain bike here in Austin. Central Texas actually has some pretty decent mountain biking trails. Uh, I'm thankful for that, and I try to get out once a week to go and mountain bike. But the thought of going in Colorado and getting on some real mountain bike trails, Neil McCullough here is smiling because he knows, because he also likes to mountain bike. Um, and, and so I brought my bike, and I got to go on almost a bike ride a day while I was there. And I'll tell you, my lungs were not ready for riding above nine or 10,000 feet. But uh, you know, it humbled me a little bit, but it was so exciting. One of the most exciting parts is we got to do a big family bike ride. And this was not a mountain bike ride, uh, but it was exciting for me because I just, I love to ride my bike. So all 15 of us went on a bike ride. And um, we went from the city of Breckenridge at 9,600 feet. 10 miles down the road is a little town called Frisco that's at 9,000 feet. So it's a nice downhill coast, uh, almost all the way to Frisco. I mean, it's 10 miles, but it's, it's downhill. And so we, we decided as a whole family we were going to do this. Uh, two of the kids were like around one years old or younger. So we had like the trailers and then my kids um, on the trailer bike. So you can see there, Abigail is right behind me uh, on the left side. That's a trailer bike. It attaches to your bike. It's like a half of a bicycle so that you can have your kid in tow. Everett is behind Tracy, and then my brother is on the right there, and he has a three-year-old also that you can't see, but he is, you know, attached to his bike. And so this Motley crew, after like an hour and a half at the bike shop of getting all the bikes rented and everything attached and everyone's ready and hydrated and sunscreened up, we take off. From Breckenridge, we're going to go all the way down to Frisco, and it is so much fun. It's downhill, we're coasting. You look on the, on the right and the left are mountains, and along the way, it's a little bike path, so you don't have to worry about cars, and the Blue River is running, and that beautiful mountain river, it's just gorgeous. So we stopped for a few pictures. I have a, a little bit of a competitive uh, moment with my siblings to see who can like, get ahead while towing their kid behind them, uh, seeing how fast we can go and still be safe, good parents. And, and, and we get to almost all the way into Frisco, and then you've dropped so much in elevation that you actually have to climb a little bit to get up into the city of Frisco. And it, for many people in my family, it stopped becoming a fun bike ride at that point. <laughs> so my wife is raising her hand. Um, and, and, and so it became a little bit of a struggle. But I'm a mountain biker, and I know how to do this. So I had, I had like saved my energy, and I was, I was ready. I got into a good rhythm, and then I, I was 
I was like, I'm going to coach the rest of my family. And so I helped everyone figure out how do you do this? How do you, you know, you know don't, don't, you know, how do you put it in the right gear? And how do you uh, take a break when you need to take a break? Well, to make that part of the story short, we all made it to Frisco. Thank, thank the Lord. We made it there. We got to our uh, destination, which was a, an ice cream shop next to a coffee shop next to our restaurant with outdoor seating. And we had our little snack break. Well, the little snack break turned into like an hour and a half to two hours of us really just enjoying not being on bikes anymore. And as that time kept getting longer and longer, more and more of our group started wondering, do I really want to make that return journey? So we had originally planned for probably the, the two infants um, and two of the parents to like ride back, so we'd parked a vehicle down there preemptively. And by the time we decided it was time to leave the snack stop, uh, two-thirds of our group was going to be taking vehicles back. It took a few trips. Um, so we set off to go back to Breckenridge. I am the only parent still with a kid attached to my bike that decided to make the return journey. But I'm a mountain biker. And I'm kind of excited to prove that I can do this. So we, we get going, and initially it's really easy, because what was uphill at the very end of the way there was downhill to start with, so that was great, really fun. And then we got to the bottom of that, and I realized, oh man, it is only uphill from here. But I'm a mountain biker, I'm pretty sure I can do this. So we started on the uphill, and I was, I was trying to get into a good pedal cadence and get just a good... I, I wasn't trying to rush it. I was, I was going to make it the whole way. And so uh, as, as I was going, I realized, man, my legs feel kind of funny. Though that's, that's tired. That's what that feeling is. I was tired, and then I was wearing my bike shoes, which are great for a one- or two-hour ride. I probably had them for three or four hours on at that point, and my feet were starting to feel cramped. And even the cool padded shorts that I wear did not make the seat comfortable at that point. And I thought, oh no, I'm a mountain biker. What if I can't make it up <laughs> the rest of this ride? And then my mom and my dad and my cousin passed me, right? And, and I thought, oh man. Like, I know they're not towing a kid, but still, like, I, I kind of thought I would be doing a little better. I'm a mountain biker. I need to make it up this hill. And so we, you know, I was coaching Abigail, like, Abigail, you can pedal a little bit and help. Don't burn that on the downhill. Help me when it really matters. I'm, when I say go, you go. And she's like, okay, Dad, okay. And Abigail's great. Um, we, you know, the, to make the story short, we made it into Breckenridge. We made it. And I saw, I saw the town. We took that last exit, got to the bike shop. I'm like, I am a mountain biker, and I made it. I did that. And Abigail hops off the bike and she said, Dad, that was so much fun. I'm not even tired. <laughs> That's great, baby girl. I'm glad you have energy for later. I probably don't. And then even later, we got back to the house and the rest of my family who had been there for like a couple hours at that point, uh, you know, they were, they were saying, man, I, Thomas, I don't know how you did that. And inside, I was, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mountain biker. I did that. How we understand our identity changes how we live, right? And, and so in small ways, this happens throughout our days, throughout our weeks. So in a, in a very funny way, me being very focused on I am a mountain biker probably changed my experience of that bike ride. And at times, I was at the peak of excitement and felt like I had proven myself. And at other times, I thought I was at risk of losing my identity, right? 
how we understand who we are changes how we live. We're doing this series on reconnect, and what we're going to be talking about today is how we can reconnect with our identity, and, and the most true form of our identity that really is only found in God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We're thankful to be here to worship you, to glorify your name this morning. And Lord, we know that uh, there are many things that we try to put our identity in and find our value in that are not you. I pray right now, Lord, that you would teach us through your word. I pray that you would peel back uh, the layers of protection that we put on ourselves to try to hide, to try to self-justify. And I pray that you would plant in us a new identity based on something that is eternal. pray that you would come and use this time to grow us, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to start with a graphic that Pastor Tom used last week. Uh, this is from the book, When Helping Hurts. And it really, for me, it's become one of the best ways to explain both a holistic humanity and a holistic understanding of salvation. And, and so what I mean by that is humans were created uh, with uh, a multifaceted way of relating to the world around them. And we are created with a relationship with God. We are created to have a relationship with others. But we are also created to have a relationship with all the rest of creation. Remember, we are supposed to be stewards over creation, reflecting God's image into creation. And then we're created to have a good relationship, a healthy relationship with ourselves. Now, I think as we think about reconnecting, um, and there's a need to reconnect because of the fall, right? When sin entered in, the fall happened, and it broke those relationships. So we normally, we think of sin in our lives, or we think about the fall, we think about that affects our relationship with God. We could all agree, yeah, that affected my relationship with God. For the most part, we can agree that uh, when there's sin in my life, it makes it hard for me to have a good relationship with someone else, right? I'm not able to love someone else the way God's called me to love them. What we often forget is that sin entering in and the fall being a part of that story, uh, it made it so that our relationship with the rest of creation was broken. We could do a whole series on that. That's, I'm not going to address that today. But it made it so that we had a broken relationship with ourself. Our own uh, self-understanding, our own identity was fractured and broken as a result of sin and a result of the fall. What, what this book, When Helping Hurt, what it, what it goes on to teach is that a broken relationship with ourself looks like either having a God complex where you elevate yourself far higher than you should or having extremely low self-esteem where you're not sure what your worth is. And, and you can probably think about this in your own life. When you're trying to prove yourself, when you're trying to show others that you have some value, you know, sometimes you look around and you, you feel like, oh, I'm doing better than others, so I, I must be better. And that, that's, that's the inflated ego, the God complex. At the same time, uh, when we're not doing as well as those around us, or when uh, things are not working well in life, when the thing we're trying to find our identity in slips away from us, that's when we, we feel like we're worthless. And neither of these is the way God wants us to live. Both of these things are broken ways of relating to ourselves. 
There's a number of uh, ways to understand kind of our identity and how we look for other false identities. One of the most helpful tools I've found is uh, from a few different authors, actually, looking at Jesus being tempted before he began his ministry. And if you look at the, the story of Jesus being tempted, it really shows us a framework for how we are also tempted to place our identity in something else. If you think about, you know, Jesus is baptized and proclaimed to be beloved son of God, kind of like Charlotte was baptized, proclaimed to be a beloved daughter of God. And right after Jesus' baptism and he's tempted, the main temptation is to find his identity in something that is not God. And so you can really narrow those three things down, these, these three temptations towards the false self. I got this from Peter Scazzaro, who, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a great book. Um, I really love it. He says, here's, here's the three big temptations to try to find our identity in something uh, that is less than what we should. The first is to try to say that I am what I do. It's all about finding your identity in your performance. And we are really good about this in America, right? We are achievement-oriented, uh, success-driven. Uh, we like to make plans and plans about our plans and set goals and measure those with metrics. And, and I am just as guilty as this, of, this of, of all of this as anyone else. When we feel like it's going well in our career, uh, in our family life, compared to those around us, we feel like, we feel like we have earned a great identity. That's the God complex. But on the other side of things, when our career is not going so well, when our family feels like it's falling apart, when we look around and we seem like we're struggling compared to those around us, we can feel like we don't have a sense of self-worth and identity. The second uh, temptation towards the false self is to say, well, I am what I have. Um, this is to, to make your identity based on your possessions. And so for all of us in Northwest, uh, middle to upper middle class Austin, this is a temptation, right? So if I have the right clothes, you got to have this t-shirt, by the way. If I have the right clothes, if I have the right car, the right house, I feel like I've made it, like I've arrived, like I am worth something. And then if, if other people seem to be doing way better than me in all those areas, then I can feel like, oh, maybe... Maybe I'm not really worth it compared to others. The third temptation is to say, I am what others think. Popularity. It's about making your identity all about your popularity. Do people like me? When I told that joke, did they laugh? If they did, then I feel like I'm justified. I am someone that matters. But, but they, oh, they didn't laugh. Oh, maybe I'm, maybe people don't like me. Maybe, you know, if you think that that sounds a little bit too, uh, too much like middle school, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was looking at these things, and I was like, man, that, to me, that sounds like middle school. You know, I think, I don't think the struggles that any of us encountered in middle school fully go away. I think we just get really good at hiding them. I think we just get really good at hiding them. But these are these temptations to try to find our identity in something that is not God. And if I was going to add to this list for the modern day, um, there's, there's one temptation to find our identity in something else right now that I would, I would tack on to here. It would be to say, I am my political party or my political ideology or my, that ideological group that I'm a part of. 
And, and I say that because I, I feel like I'm seeing this all over the place where people want to find their identity by being a part of a group, but then when someone critiques a point of view of that group, it doesn't, it doesn't just become a disagreement. It's an attack on my identity. So then I need to get outraged or I need to unfriend someone on Facebook or I need to fight back. I think that's uh, partly happening because we're finding, we're trying to find our identity in things that are not what they should be. So all of this would be enough to get each of us to, to, to do a lot of self-reflection in a normal year. Right? We could all think about ways that we fall into each of these three temptations or uh, even the fourth one, the political stuff maybe. But then, we're not in a normal year, right? This thing came and messed everything up. And, and I know for some of you, that's a great understatement. Um, for some people, this has just been the most inconvenient year of your life. For, for some of you, it's been a year of extreme loss. But I think a couple things have happened in a year of uh, like we've had, in a year and a half like we've had. I think, uh, on the one hand, the chaos and the disorientation has made a lot of us even more confused about who we really are. It's made the effects of the fall exacerbated, in a way, where we're even more disconnected with ourselves because of all that is happening around us. I think for some others, it's just been a time when things have gotten stripped away, and sometimes our false identities, our false sources of identity get stripped away and we're left going, oh no, I thought I was safe because I put my identity in my career, but now that's not going well. What do I do? Oh no, I thought I was safe because I put my identity in my family, but some things are not going well there and people can see, so what do I do? I think there's a lot of us in various ways we're grappling with that, how do I find an identity that is more long-lasting than these short-term things. I think the question we really have to ask ourselves is this. What am I counting on besides God to tell me that I'm loved and valued? I think each one of us needs to ask that question. This is where our, our religion has to be more than just a good religious habit, right? It's not just going through the motions. We have to put ourselves before God and say, all right, God, Help me understand where am I walking away from you and where can I walk towards you more? we got to invite God into that process. The good news is that God does not leave us in this disconnected place. Our God is a God of reconnection. God wants to connect us back to him, that relationship with him. He wants to connect us back with each other. We hope there's a lot of that happening as we do this Reconnect series. God also wants to reconnect us with ourselves. He wants to restore a right sense of identity in us. And I want to look at a passage right now that teaches us what that looks like, both, both what that identity is and how do we go about reconnecting with that identity. So this passage is in Romans 8, the great 8, one of the best chapters in the Bible. And we're just going to look at four verses, starting in verse 14. And it starts like this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I need to give you just a little bit of backstory. Um, earlier in this chapter, Paul is talking about all those who place their faith in Jesus, and he, he basically says, anyone who places their faith in Jesus also gets the gift of the Holy Spirit living in them. 
right? We've taught about this before at Bethany. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are a package deal. You don't have to be a super Christian to get the Holy Spirit. Uh, You don't have to be a pastor. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. Praise the Lord. Such a cool thing. And so what this is saying is that anyone who's placed their faith in Christ and now has God's Spirit living in them and leading their life, they are a child of God. So we see a very important part of reconnecting with who we are. First, that our identity, first and foremost, is found in God. Our identity is found in God. And it's found in being a part of God's family. Such, such Such a cool thing that God invites us into his family. So, uh... It keeps going, it keeps going, and it gets even a little better. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. And so it's saying that uh, becoming a child of God did not happen by our own merit, but it happened because God chose to adopt us. This word adoption carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of meaning behind that. When we are adopted by God, not because we looked better than all the other orphaned kids, but because God chose to offer us a place in his family. And this brings me to my second point, that identity is not something that we can earn before God. This is really good news. And here's why. If identity is not something we can earn, if we're adopted by God, because, not because we've earned it, but because God chose us, then it's not something we can lose on our worst days, and it's not something where we can level up on our, on our best days. Right? You can't, you can't make your identity better by your own performance or possessions or popularity, and you can't lose it when you have failure in those areas of your life. If you place your faith in Christ, your identity is secure as a child of God. That, that's great news, Right? We don't have to keep working to try to prove ourselves because uh, we know who we are in Christ. Uh, The passage keeps going, and it it seems to keep teaching us more. I'll just actually go back to that. The bottom of uh, this verse says, when we cry, Abba, Father, that's an intimate way of relating to God. And basically what it's saying is when we are adopted into God's family, uh, we get to relate to the Father like Jesus related to the Father which is in a very intimate, close, personal way. That Abba, Father, is actually a reference to a prayer. There's multiple places in the Gospels where Jesus begins a prayer with the word Abba. And and so it's saying that we will have a close relationship with God. Tom will be preaching about reconnection with a relationship with God next week. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So this this part, it actually explains a little bit deeper about what it means to be adopted into God's family. We, We can know that we are children of God up here, but that's not the same thing as having that uh, in, internalized and becoming a part of how we live. You guys could all think about parts of your life where you know something, but it doesn't necessarily change how you live. Like, we all know that good diet and exercise is good for you, but how many of us actually follow that by how we live? 
right? We all, maybe we have our good moments, but most of us fall short of that. Um, being adopted into God's family is not just about knowing that we are children of God. It's also about letting God come and make that real in our lives. And this is how it happens. It's the Holy Spirit that was given to us when we place our faith in Christ bears witness with our spirit, which means it's the Holy Spirit is telling us inside of us we are God's children. It's reminding us that this is definitely true about us. And so one, one of the things we believe about the Christian life is that you can experience assurance. You can experience the gift of God making it internally known to you that you're, you're assured that you are a child of God. I don't know if anyone's ever gone on a walk to Emmaus or something similar where you have an encounter with God and you know that God loves you. You know that God has, has, has saved you and that you are loved by God. And that's that assurance. That's the spirit bearing witness with your spirit. What a beautiful gift. Um, what I think that tells us about identity is identity is not just something we know up here. It's something that gets imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. One of the things about adoption, that there's, a, there's some great theology around this. I would love to nerd out on you for a long time, but I'm going to keep it really short. Um, that, that word adoption, one of my favorite theologians, Thomas Oden, talks about how when you are adopted by, by God in Christ, one sure mark of that is that you start to take on the character traits of your new family. So just like my kids do things, and sometimes I look at them and I go, oh, you're doing that because I do that. When we experience adoption and that new identity being imparted to us and internalized in our lives, we start to take on the character traits of Christ and the new family that we're a part of. And it doesn't mean we're like 100% made perfect all at once. That's, that's not actually how it works. It does mean that we can start to see that internal transformative kind of change in our lives. That's a part of becoming part of God's family. There's one other part of this verse that really stood out to me. I kind of had an aha moment this week um, in reading this. Something occurred to me that had never stood out to me before. And here's, uh, let me show you a piece of this. It says that we are children of God. What I noticed is that children is plural. So I started to think, what are all the other places in the New Testament that I know of where it says something about our identity? I'm like, okay, let's see. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about being members of the body of Christ, members plural. In Philippians 3, it talks about being citizens of heaven, citizens plural. In 1 Peter 2, it talks about being stones that are built into a new temple, a new building, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Stones, plural. What I realized is the Bible does not teach about the kind of individualistic identity that most of us think about. Most of us have such an individualistic understanding of who we are uh, that we don't think about that in terms of anyone else. It's just about us. But what Scripture teaches is that our identity actually is something that has a community element to it. Identity is not found alone. It's found in community. I think part of why that is is because we need other people around us to remind us who we are. I think in some ways maybe that's why this past 18 months has been so difficult, that extended periods of isolation and loneliness can really mess with not just our relationships with others, but who we think we are. 
that can lead to some confusion. And what what I also believe is the more we grow to a firm understanding of our identity in Christ, the better we're able to treat one another. Because we're not trying to compete. We're not trying to prove ourselves or to raise ourselves up above someone else, right? We're able to actually love people as people. I think, I think God has big hopes for us, that we would be people that reconnect with our identity as children of God. My question for you today is, how do you need God to reconnect you with who you are? How do you need God to reconnect you with who you are? You can hear that you are a child of God, but maybe not. Uh, you might need to ask Jesus to come and be at work in some of those places in your life to make that real. Maybe some of you, this pandemic year has just brought so much chaos, there's so much confusion in your life, you just kind of need a reset. Jesus, come and give me a reset on who I am. Help me. Maybe for some of you, some of those uh, temptations to the false self really stood out. You're like, yeah, I totally do that one, right? I mean, they're all those for me, checks and boxes, that I need to surrender those before God. Whatever it is for you, the offer today is to come before God and to let God tell you who you are, and to let God make that a part of how you live. My hope is that we could all say with John, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that you care about us. Lord, you know each of us by name, and you have adopted us as your children. Lord, I pray that you would come and search our hearts in the deep places of our lives. Help us to build our identity on you and you alone, because you can never be taken away from us. I pray that as you transform us, Lord, and as you ground us solidly uh, in your family, that you would allow us to be people that can help reconnect others as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.